You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from the high-tech studios here at Tech Sideline in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. This is episode 186. It's been a while since we've talked to you. We're going to go all the way through fall camp, recap what happened, and look ahead at the upcoming 2021 Virginia Tech football season, going through positional groups, and looking big picture on what a good season would look like for the Hokies this year. All of that and more coming up right now here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. We welcome you back to episode 186 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. It's good to be with everybody. We got Will Stewart, our founder and general manager, Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist. I had to be careful not to call you managing editor. That's right. Our managing editor is behind the scenes. Today's best producer in the land, that's David Cunningham, and I'm your host, Jake Lyman. The Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. A little bit of trouble getting this read up, but it's creating Olympic opportunities. Assist us in attracting the best recruits in the nation. Your support and contributions will help bring more Olympic hopeful training partners and mentors to Blacksburg, Virginia. You can go to our website, techsideline.com, to donate today. Actually, southeastrtc.com. Southeastrtc.com. Okay. There's a link on techsideline.com, too. So you're coming in hot. Coming in hot. Calm down. Calm man. down. You're fine. <laughs> I got a li- I Evan Hughes is always, he's up to a 10. I got to I Well, well we in. had to train Evan not to come in hot. <laughs> that we would start the show and he'd be all excited to start the show and he'd be like, welcome into, he'd be like, Evan, turn down the volume a little bit. Bring it down. <laughs> so, very good. That's a good start. Uh, so, um, is it okay if I just launch it? Go ahead. This? So uh, if you're watching on video, you see that we've redone the set a little bit. I'm sure if you follow us on Twitter, you've seen that. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work here and I'm not quite done. I've got a few cubbies I've got to light up and things like that. But but overall, I'm pleased with the effort. And so just to let everybody know, we obviously have a new host, Jake Lyman, Virginia Tech Sports Media and Analytics 2022. And producing today is David Cunningham. We're not going to have a like a fixed full-time producer like we used to. I'm going to bring as many of the, you know, we're having David do it today. I'm going to bring in as many of the SMA kids as I can and train as many of them as I can. Uh, so uh, if we have a few glitches along the way, man, I, I know we make this look easy, but it's really not. You know, you got to learn how to do this stuff. So uh, well done and 
off to you. Yeah, we got a new regime coming in today, so that's right. Yeah, yeah. bear with us a little bit. I got. I'll, I'll bring it down a little bit. We'll, we'll get. <laughs> we'll get going here. I just hope your engineering skills this time are better than they were the last time we had a TV up here. Because <laughs> yes. the last TV fell. Fortunately, I was not sitting here when it did. Uh, it it never fell. It just leaned way over. Oh, it um, fell one day. Did it really? Oh yeah. Was I here for that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, it definitely fell off the wall. Well, I'm a little bit yeah. worried about you over there now, just right underneath it. So hopefully, mm. hopefully Will, Will did a good job putting all that together. Yeah, so that shelf is actually uh, Trex decking. So I bought the shelves uh, on the internet, put the put them together with some Trex decking. Decking flexes a little bit. Yeah, so that, that TV over Chris's head is bending the decking just a slight bit but don't sweat it chris i think i think you should be good uh but it looks great definitely since the last time i came on here a lot of new things the shelves look good getting yeah. getting all this uh memorabilia looking out for so uh excited to get into this today so this is actually your second time hosting right? yes we, we really threw you under the bus with the first one. <laughs> we had you host a wrestling podcast. Yeah. It's hard enough to do a podcast that it's even harder to do a wrestling podcast. So, yeah, this isn't your first time around. Yeah. So, so I, welcome to the show. I, I got to tell you, I, that may be the most nervous I had ever been. I don't think I had ever known the rules to wrestling or watched a wrestling match until a week before when you told me I was going to be doing it and got Tony Roby to my left trying to interview him. So uh, it was a work in progress for sure. So it's, it's me and you. We don't know a lot about wrestling and we're interviewing Tony Roby, but I remember I, I was just like, so, uh, 184 pounds. Who do you like there? Like, <laughs> like that's kind of like what yeah. the whole podcast was, but so I remember, I remember that. Well, never mind. We don't want to drill too far down into that. Let's just, let's go ahead and get started. Well, we are going to look back at fall camp. Obviously it's been what over three weeks since the last tech sideline podcast, when we Correct. said goodbye to Evan and Malcolm. So a lot to catch up on. We're going to look back at fall camp. We're also going to look through the roster position by position, and we're going to get you all set. Kickoff now just eight days away against North Carolina from Lane Stadium next Friday. So we're going to get you set here, and then obviously we'll have a podcast next week for uh, North Carolina week. So first, the, the big news of the week, obviously, was Bo Davidson leaving, and I figure that's a good place to start, losing uh, Bo Davidson to Texas Tech. And obviously, he was a big proponent of the Texas 2VT movement and yeah. got a lot of the bigger-name recruits as of late to come to Virginia Tech. So yeah. I think the big question to ask is, how big of a loss is that? And the timing as well coming just before the season. Uh, that depends on how he's replaced. I, I, the timing of it is fine okay, because – Tech, most of their class is already committed. Right. Uh, now, if this had happened in like May, right before visits started and, and everything like that, then it could have been really bad. But uh, the timing is fine. And if, if you lost your cornerbacks coach in, in August, that would be a different story. Um, or if you lost your basketball coach in mid April. Late April. Yeah. <laughs> David's over there laughing behind the production. Right, desk. right. Um, yeah, so I, it just depends on how he's replaced. Now, Virginia Tech does, does need some stability at that position. Uh, this is their third director of football recruiting, I guess, in the last few years. Yeah, Thomas Gary was in that position, I believe. And Did they promote Yetzi to that when Gary yeah, left? Yetzi was in that role. Or, uh, Bo Davidson replaced Yetzi. So this is, this, they'll be assuming they hire someone before the end of the calendar year. Uh, this will be their third director of recruiting of the calendar year 2021. Yeah. So they need to get some stability there. Davidson, you know, he's from Texas, um, but I, he also got a pay raise. Uh, and Virginia Tech, you know, they're still behind 
as far as st- salaries go for recruiting staff and things like that. And if you look there on the drive, excuse me, the Reach for Excellence website, it sets a fiscal goal for donations for the recruiting department. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe the goal was like $5 million. And Tech wants to be able to offer competitive salaries uh, for those positions. And, you know, it's, it's important to make those donations. I mean, it just you, you can't just sit there and wait for the next person to do it. You know, the, the fan, fan base has to buy into this or else Virginia Tech will continue to lose Bo Davidson's. Yeah. And this is a position that you're never going to have, like, complete stability at the director of recruiting position because it's a spot that you, you, it's, you work so many hours and you can make good money, you know, depending on the school you're at and everything, but it'll also wear you out very quickly. So this is never going to be like a five to ten year position. Well, I also remember that. Didn't Yetzi tell us one time that, that everybody who works in those jobs is already kind of looking for their next job. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a high turnover yeah, it's, position. Yeah, it's, it's a high turnover position. Um, but uh, they do need – ideally, you'd like to get somebody and keep them there for a couple of years or so. At least, yeah. Uh, yeah. So but, – but to do that, you know, you got to be able to afford to do it. So it's very, very important that I think Tech fans buy into the Reach for Excellence program. Otherwise – Whenever Justin Fuente does hire someone quality, which I think Bo Davidson is, you know, you're going to lose him. And it's, quite frankly, it's amazing Tech was able to keep him for this long yeah. because I think he's a pretty talented guy. Yeah, Bo worked. Uh, that's funny. I said, make sure your cell phones are silent before we went on the air and mine's not. Uh, Bo worked really hard and I like Bo, but and he, and he had some consistency here at Virginia Tech, not necessarily in the position. He's been here for a while, but uh the flip side of that coin is um, I was going through Twitter last night where people were talking about this. And uh, do you even know how to work your, your new phone? It's, it's a new yeah, you got to follow your own rules, Will. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm the boss. I don't have to follow the rules. <laughs> uh, so if you didn't hear it, I just got a phone call in the middle of a podcast. But um, I was going through Twitter last night and in some of the discussion, OxVT said, I made up videos about that Texas to VT stuff. And he, he ran a he reran a video that Ox had done about a year or two ago when that was a thing. And like every recruit in the video either didn't make it here or isn't here. Demetrius Davis, Justin Beatles, Alec Bryant, Robert Wooten. These guys Beatles are all from Georgia. You're, you're, okay. you're talking about just Texas guys, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, uh, again, Bo worked really hard and I like Bo. But I, but I think if you could bring somebody to the position who has Eastern recruiting ties, mid-Atlantic recruiting ties, that'd be a nice advantage. Right, right. Well, and it seems like recruiting has kind of gotten a little momentum going their way as of late. Do you think that this move may halt that for a little bit when you lose a guy that high up in the recruiting department? I don't think so. Um, You know, the recruiting guys do the legwork, and they do form some relationships and things like that. But you're going to get recruits because of your – facilities your location your actual coaches and things like that now the others recruiting guys are extremely extremely important because of the hours they put in and these days with, with so many rec- there's just so many more recruits being offered and evaluated these days than there were you know 15 20 years ago it used to be tech would offer 40 or 50 guys a year and the coaches could manage that and but these days you're just evaluating hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and you need a full staff uh it's basically, you know, you're like a highly paid grunt worker 
if, if you're if you're on a recruiting staff. It's a grind. It is a complete grind. Uh, we saw a picture from uh, the summer right after recruiting was about to get opened back up, and it was, I think it was it was five of Virginia Tech staff members posing for a picture in the hallway, and it was like three thirty a.m. Yeah, I mean, it's that kind of thing. It's that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. and it's a thankless job. But it's a necessary job. So if you want to get the best people there, like I said, um, the Reach for Excellence campaign. I mean, tech, it's, it's the fan base has to open up their their wallets for this. So so let's drill down into the, this a little bit more. A well-run recruiting organization will be set up. I mean, these these positions are known to have high turnover. So a well-run recruiting organization will be set up such that it can absorb the loss of an employee. And, and now Chris can bring, he's got a better memory of this than I do. Back when Chuck Canner was running recruiting, Chuck was running it by himself pretty much. Chuck and Thomas Gary. And Thomas Gary. And Chuck kept a lot of the information to himself. Oh, yeah, that was that was the issue. Which he was like a walking file cabinet and nobody had access to the files. <laughs> exactly. So when he left, he took his filing cabinet with right. him. Uh-huh. And that's not the way to run a recruiting department. Right. Now, it's been a few years since then. And yes, I'm not going to pretend that Bo didn't have relationships with some of the recruits. I remember Yetzi. Yetzi knew all the recruits. Oh yeah, yeah. And, he, and, the, and these guys, they know all the recruits. Don't get yeah, me wrong, yeah. but uh, so it's it's a loss. But like, it, like I said, it depends on how he's replaced. Yeah. yeah, it'll be important to see who fills that role coming up in the future, especially with 2023 class probably taking over as the focus somewhat soon. Uh, but I think we have to get into fall camp. We haven't been here to talk about it for the last three weeks, and. Right. Pretty much everything that I've seen, at least on social media, it seems like it's been pretty positive. Uh, I just want to get your impressions of over the last couple of weeks with fall camp, has your expectations changed at all with this team? Or is there anybody who's standing out to you that could play a role that you didn't see before? I don't know what my expectations were before, so I don't know <laughs> if they've changed or not. Man, I, I really mm, – I'm, I'm about to say something I really shouldn't say, but <laughs> nobody's out for the season yet. Like nobody's oh no hammies or everybody's knocking on tables. <laughs> so you know my expe- not my not my expectation, but my hope was: can we just get through the fall season? You know, without the hamstring and Achilles issues. Uh, it's 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 normal for everything in the fall to be all optimistic, um, and I know we've been guilty of that in the past. I, I, I well, go back. I mean, you see every, every coach in the country; they get up there for that introductory press conference and in the fall and they're all positive and no, no coach ever stands on the podium before the season starts. So God, we got a bunch of sorry players. We might as not, (laughs) might as well not even play this season. Right. So there's some level of optimism for everyone to a certain extent. Uh, But by the same token, Fuente drops little nuggets. He says he feels better about the passing game than he has at any time here. Yeah. And so your brain immediately goes really better than uh, uh, Gerard Evans. Uh, yeah, and what he means by that is, like, the intricacies of the passing game, a quarterback able to go through his reads, as opposed to, you know, Gerard, uh, Gerard just throwing it up for grabs and, and Bucky and Isaiah Ford just flat-out beating guys in the air for the football. Yeah. That, that's that's not a passing game per se. That, oh, that, that, that that's, that's talent. And the classic example of that was the Pittsburgh game that right. year where it was just – Man, that, that's still one of my favorite games under Fuente where he was like, they're going to do their thing, we're going to do our thing, just keep going. Yeah. Just chucking that ball up and beating that one-on-one coverage. 
Uh, so you're right. He means the overall management of the passing yeah. game, going through the reads and all that sort of stuff. So when a coach says, the, I feel the best about this than I've ever felt in my time here, that makes your ears perk up. He doesn't have to say that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and he hasn't said that in other years. And then he talks about uh, what an athlete Braxton Burmeister is. You know, did he say freak athlete? He said freak, right? He said he reminds me of those guys you see in the Olympics. Right. The Olympics were going on Olympics at the time. On, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he was recorded as the fastest athlete on the field during one yeah. of their first practices, even faster than Jaden Payute, which it, he is widely regarded as a freak athlete. Yeah, and that was a top speed measure. Yes, they got, yes. got a lot of play on Twitter, and I think we may have even talked about it. I think it may have been out in our last podcast when we talked about it. So, yes, in terms of however they GPS these guys and measure top speed, Burmeister recorded the top and, speed. And also, I think it, this year, I want to say from media day, from talking to the players, I think in the past they always did the Speed Kings thing and they ran a total distance of 50 yards. Mm-hmm. So, And I think this year I heard the players say they only did 30 or 40 yards. Really? Which means uh, he topped out, you know, you've got to top out quicker, which means there's good acceleration there too. Yeah. Well, so uh, I, I forgot what the question was. It was just something about kind of optimism. In general. Uh, right, right. Well, and po- I think, positive vibes. I think it's just such a contrast from last year when pretty much every press conference was, this is tough. Like, like with the COVID <laughs> testing point. and everything, it's just a, a very different kind of atmosphere around the team where they're not getting COVID tests and there's no issues with COVID. They're not having 13 guys practicing it at a time or something uh, we, like we that. We know for a fact Unless something's happening down at North Carolina that I don't know about. We know for a fact that Virginia Tech's going to play a football game in eight days. Yes. Right. And last year, we didn't know leading up to the day before the game whether they were going to play or not. Wasn't Virginia Tech supposed to open the season with UVA last year and it yeah. got bumped? Uh, it was uh, NC State. It was NC State. Then it was then, UVA. Then it was UVA. Okay. NC State got canceled because of NC State issues. Although we probably wouldn't have, Tech probably wouldn't have been able to play yes. that game either. And then they're like, okay, we're opening now, we're opening next week against UVA. And then you get up a few days before, or a couple days before that game, and then Tech didn't have enough yes, players, so right. they had to cancel that game. So, so it wasn't until the next week. Like most teams had already played two games before Virginia Tech played their first game last yeah. year. Yeah, so Virginia Tech was supposed to start at NC State, and they ended up doing it just two weeks later than scheduled, which yeah, I guess that's the whole thing is you don't have to worry about it this year because all the players are vaccinated and – it seems like that has at least made Coach Fuente a little bit happier at the podium, yeah, and yeah. and he's seemed a little bit more optimistic about the season. Yeah, and he's he's got guys working in the defensive system in yep. particular. So where where my mind goes is, and I guess at some point we're going to talk about key players. There's there's just a few guys on this team that well, Burmeister's the obvious one. You know, as I always say, Captain Obvious reporting for duty. If he is comfortable in the passing game like Fuente says he is now now there's a difference in in between being ready and being the best quarterback you'll ever be we're not saying he's the best he's ever going to be if he plays this year a lot and then comes back next year he'll be better next year but so if if he's ready to be a guy who can really run the offense he does a great job in the running game if he's a guy who can really run the offense he's got to stay healthy so there's that and then I want to know is Jordan Williams like we were excited about uh, the Youngstown State uh, Justice Reed Justice last year, Reed. and Justice turned out to be a workman like player. Oh, he's in the NFL right now. Well, he's a good player. No, he got, I, think he got, <laughs> I think he got cut the other day. Oh, did Not, he get cut yeah. the other day? He got cut again. 
Uh, it was like David would know this stuff. I know. Well, oh, ju- well, justice was what we expected. I mean, he was. You're, well, you're a seventh year senior for a reason because you've been hurt all the time. Yeah. So I actually felt fortunate that he was able to play the whole season. I think he missed one game. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we but, got pretty much what I expected. But I, but I don't think he was transformational for the defense, is what I'm saying. No. Right. Good player. Glad to have him. It looked like he might have been, the. I think he had two sacks NC or three State. sacks the first game. It was the, it first, the first series. The, yeah. I knew you thought, yeah. oh, great. He kind of jumped off the page. And you're like, he's exactly yeah. who we thought he was going to be. So that was that, probably so, the healthiest he had been the whole year. So yeah. that's probably kind of shaping my thinking and my comment there. But I just, I just is Jordan Williams going to be a guy that, that – um, did he not play as much as he wanted to at Clemson because the other guys were so good, they're NFL-quality players? Or is he going to be what you might call a workman type, workman-like type defensive tackle? Or will he blow up the middle of the line and, <laughs> and, and be a playmaker? You know, that's that's what I want to see. That's what I think I'm going to be looking for. And I could run down a whole bunch of other guys too, but I won't. So the kind the of guys who – could kind of make or break the season, obviously. Exactly. Bra- Braxton is the big one. When, you, when you're Virginia Tech and you don't have a lot of four- and five-star talent on the field, the guys you do have, you really want them to excel, stay healthy, and be at their best. You can't afford to lose one or two or three of them. It really changes the season. Well, and that takes us perfectly into what most of the podcast is going to revolve around is going position by position through this team and kind of seeing where you guys sit with these guys. And I think Braxton Burmeister is the perfect place to start. There's been a lot of talk about this is finally the year that Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson have their guy. He, there's no quarterback competition. Do you think that is being overhyped a little bit with that? Because I did see something yesterday on Twitter and I don't want to, I don't remember who said it, but it was, during the Fuente era, the only year he really had the guy was Gerard Evans. Mm. And so we were talking about this the other day, and, I, and, and, and somebody said the same thing. And I looked at Chris, and I said, well, what about 2018 when, when he knew Josh Jackson was going to be the starter? Yeah, that well, well, look, Fuente made a comment during media day, and it was an accidental comment. Uh, I think it, one of the media members asked him, when's the last time you actually knew who your starter was going to the season? And Fuente started to think about it, and he didn't, he didn't answer fast enough for the reporter. So the reporter said, was it Paxton Lynch at Memphis? And Fuente's like, I, I don't know, probably. You know, so that's where that came from. That's inaccurate. It was Josh Jackson in, in 2018. But the difference is, so, so he knew Josh. He, had, he named Josh Jackson as starter right at the beginning of fall camp. Right. I remember that. Instead of giving it the old fake, there's a competition going it on. It was very fast. Yeah. Um, like he named Jackson the starter faster than he had named Evans the starter the year before. Right. Ah, interesting. But we also knew that he had Ryan Willis behind Josh Jackson. Yes. And nobody was saying Ryan, Ryan Willis was a great quarterback, but we knew he'd had a lot of experience and, and he, he could step in and play at this level. We're not sure about everybody behind Braxton Burmeister, and I think that's right. a difference. Yeah, that, that, that's probably right. Um you just don't know about the depth. And, you know, when Burmeister missed some time with an injury last year, you know, you worry about his durability and everything. But, you know, Burmeister was listed, I believe, at 200 pounds last year. And he told us down it, in the this media sessions in Charlotte that when he got COVID right before the season started, he lost 12 pounds. Yeah. And so he was probably only about 188 or 190 when the season began. And now he's like 210 215 so it's it's just a big difference between you know where he is right now physically 
compared to was he, where he was last year. And it should be a big difference mentally, too. When he first enrolled in 2019, he was declared ineligible. So he played on the scout team where he practiced the other team's offense. And then it didn't have his spring practice. And then, you know, fall practice happened. And they were kind of practicing some days and not other days. And not everybody was there every day. And then he got COVID and missed 10 days. So there was no familiarity with the offense at all. But so he's in a, physically he's in a better spot and mentally he's in a better spot. And I feel pretty good about Burmeister myself. I'm I'm actually more concerned about who's going to break a tackle and make a play. That that that's my biggest concern on, on offense than, yeah. than anything. Yeah. Well, looking at quarterback depth, you you kind of brought it up in 2018. Josh Jackson was the guy, but you had Ryan Willis there. Hendon Hooker was still, he was young, but he was still there. Quincy Patterson was there as a true freshman. Obviously, he was going to get redshirted. They had all that in 2018. 2018, all of them were there. I think now you look, Knox Kadem, he he played a little bit last year when uh, Braxton and Hendon Hooker both had to leave the Clemson game. And you have Taj Bullock, the freshman, coming in. But again, kind of looking at that quarterback durability i think for any football team at any level that's probably the most important thing to your season if your quarterback can't stay healthy you're probably not going to have a great year but how much more important is it for tech this year well it's it's extremely important for tech but i think tech now what we saw the last couple years was unique in the fact that tech had so many quarterbacks that were either reliable or semi-reliable and that that's unique because with the transfer portal and how easy it is to jump schools these days, only one quarterback can play, right? right. Unless you stink. And then multiple <laughs> quarterbacks play until they until <laughs> everybody's grasping at straws, until right? Until there's one man left standing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, if, uh, so only one quarterback can play. So you were going to lose one or two guys after this past season. And I, I think Tech's depth chart this year at quarterback and the experience behind Burmeister is probably more reflective of most teams. Because these quarterbacks are transferring these days because, you know, that they, I mean, that's why Braxton Burmeister is here. He was right. behind the first round pick <laughs> at Oregon. Right. Yep. So he yep. left. So, uh, some probably Oregon fans are sitting there thinking, oh, God, I don't know who their quarterback is right now. They probably have no quarterback depth. And they're probably like, gosh, if Braxton Burmeister hadn't transferred, that would <laughs> solve our quarterback depth issues. Maybe. Oh, they're talking him up down there at Virginia yeah, yeah, Tech. I know. Man. What's I wrong with our transfer? Yeah, so that, that's just the way it is these days. And uh, whether your quarterback gets hurt or not, is some of it's going to be dependent on your offensive line and some of it's going to be dependent on a just coin luck. flip. Just luck. Yeah. Most of it's luck. Now, now, didn't he also say, didn't Burmeister himself say, I've never slid once in my life? Yeah. Okay. Well, it, and that's the uh, issue. Is please we, start sliding. Because you also uh, have the fluke injuries. Like last year, he had an offensive lineman step on his foot in practice. And it or happened something. to be the 377-pound offensive lineman <laughs> as opposed to like one of the 300-pounders. Right. So that, definitely going to be important. And I think good transition over to – So wait a minute. Before, Let's ask the question. Chris, where, where are you right now? Were you getting ready to go to running backs? I was going to go to running backs, but if, if you have some one more. So i got a question for Chris. Where are you right now on who you think the number two quarterback will be? I think it's Kadem. Okay. Uh, I, you could, I think you could have made an argument for Bullock depending on how he progressed because Bullock – I think is more likely to be a future starter than any other current backup. Mm-hmm. Burmeister may come back next year or he may not. You know, it would be a sixth year, and I don't I just doubt you'll see many guys stick around for six years of college. So I'm just going to assume that he's not going to be the quarterback next year. If he has a decent year and feels like another year could get him 
his size I'll look at draft the draft conversation. Yeah, I just don't. He's not big enough to. Yeah, probably, but, but you know, man, we'll see. Russell we'll Wilson. See. We, we've seen we'll guys see. like but, that all right, before. But, all right, but if you're a tech football coach, you you assume you just assume the worst that he's not yes. going to be back. Okay. So in that case, your quarterback next year, like I don't think Bloomrick's ever going to start at Tech as a quarterback. I think maybe he could possibly start at H back or something next year. Right. Um, Kadem, I don't quite think has the arm strength. I think he's a good, solid backup, but but I, I don't think he's a guy you want starting a large number of games. Uh, so if Burmeister doesn't come back, I think your starter next year is either Taj Bullock or some transfer. Right. Yeah. Okay. So if you think there's a chance it's Bullock, then you know, and it's fairly close, then maybe he, you give him those number two reps this year and get him snaps and garbage time and things like that that would make him better prepared for next season if he is called upon to start so that's the only question i would have uh but but fuente says katem's made a lot of progress and you know i think bullock has a has a lot of potential but i still think they're going to redshirt him that's my take okay if if he had if he had come out there and like developed really really quickly then maybe he, he gives them something to think about all right, so that'll be one to watch. Yeah. Having watched a previous podcast, always be redshirting from, from Chris. So <laughs> I'm always good with redshirting a quarterback. Yeah. Well, looking at running back, we look at quarterback now, and now you have one guy at quarterback. Last year at running back, that was kind of the situation with Khalil Herbert, who kind of took the workhorse role most of the season after he erupted in the first couple of games. This year, it seems like it may be more of a by-committee kind of thing, but also some guys who you feel like – Man, they could break out if they developed a lot over the offseason. Jalen Holston showed some sparks towards the end of the season. Uh, Raheem Blackshear, obviously, we know what he can do in the passing game. And then Keyshawn King, I feel like, is always a wild card in there. Plenty of uh, of potential and a, a highly recruited guy. So I think the question I have for you is, first, who do you think is going to step up and be that lead back? And also, do you think that this group as a whole can repeat that performance or at least the production from Khalil Herbert this well, year. It would be nice if somebody's running Khalil <laughs> well, Herbert. Well, they're number one, number one rushing team in the ACC, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I think Tech will be good at rushing the ball this year. Like, I don't think there will be a standout, but I think you know, Burmeister is a good runner, and I think he makes good decisions in the read option, and the offensive line will be good. We'll get to them later. But my biggest concern is, like, Herbert, you know, he can turn a six-yard – he can turn a well-blocked five or six-yard gain into a 50-yard touchdown. Yeah, exactly. So, and you need big plays. Like in in the modern game of football, you can't drive the field five yards at a time. I mean, you have to have big plays in there. It's there. That's not a debate. You know, it's it's not you know the mid '90s anymore where you can just five yards in a cloud of dust and things like that. Um, I, I look at Holston, and I think he did pretty well down the stretch last year, but. And he he lost a little bit of weight to try to make himself more explosive, so we'll see. Um, Blackshear, you know, I went back and watched his Rutgers highlights the other day, and phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the highlights at least. Uh, I mean, just the plays he was able to make, and he was in a really bad situation last year. You know, he transferred and then didn't get spring practice to learn the offense, and then he got COVID. And missed a good chunk of the preseason. I don't think he was even cleared to play that NC State game until like the day before the game. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So like he hadn't even practiced leading up to the game, and when he had been practicing, he had been working at running back, wide receiver, and they were cross training him at defensive back. 
because of COVID. Because of COVID. Yep. Right. So it was just way too much on somebody on somebody's plate who did who had no familiarity with the system at all. Um, I'm I'm hopeful for him this year. Um, I don't think he needs. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have to be one of those guys who averages 100 yards a game. But you need to get a couple big plays. You need to get some chunk yardage plays from him. Yeah. Because I, I don't know how many guys in, in the offense are capable of producing like 20 plus yard gains. Uh, Kershawn King is the other guy who can do that. Yeah. Um, and aren't those kind of the, the the three guys that Fuente's been mentioning as yeah, kind of being in that? Yeah. I, I, th- I think those are their probably their top three. Uh, it's just not clear to me how they're going to use them. Like I don't right. I don't know if we're going to have as much outside zone this year because Herbert was really good at that. I don't know how good these guys are at that. And they're all three different backs. Like, like Blackshear is, you know, he's got a running back's body, but he kind of got a wide receiver skill set. Um, obviously Holston and, and, you know, Marco Leak talk about, talk about him a little bit. They're your big bruisers to a certain extent. And then Kishon King is just more like a spark plug type. So I'll be interested to see how they use them. Uh, another guy they've talked up a little bit is Malachi Thomas. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're 6 Yeah. Fuente said that he's just a ball player. Like, in high school, he was a great running back, and he was a great defensive player. Fuente's like, yeah, he could play defense at this level, too. He's just a good player. Hmm. Like, he just likes playing ball. He was a great baseball player, too, apparently. Um, so they're pretty high on him. Like at the beginning of camp, it was, the talk was, you know, Kenji, Kenji Christian. Uh, but sometimes once the pads go on, things change. Things change. Yeah. And, I, I think and the, Thomas, other, the other thing that makes things change is when classes start. That's true. Yeah. Particularly for freshmen. For, particularly for freshmen. That, that's, yeah. a, that's a big no. thing. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be monitoring, you know, probably, you know, not only how, how many snaps those guys play, but. You know, if I see that Raheem Blackshear plays 33 snaps, I'm going to look on Pro Football Focus and say and figure out how many of those were in the slot and how many where, of those where were, were actually they? running yeah. back and things like that. So there's a lot of different ways you, you can look at it. People ask who's going to be the starting sell back. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if, like, the first snap against UNC, if Jalen Holston and Raheem Blackshear weren't both in the game. Right. Okay. It's possible. So kind of breaking it down by size, you've got uh, your, your heaviest guys. Marco Lee is five eleven. Marco Lee is five eleven, two twenty seven. Taj Gary's five eight, two twenty, and he's a tank. You know, um, I don't know that he's gotten much buzz this preseason, but he's a guy that I just want to see succeed someday because he's just a tank. Yeah. And then the next level I would say is Holston at five eleven, two fifteen, and then you got a group of guys around. Uh, Jordan Brunson's also two fifteen, but he's he's not in the mix right now, correct? <laughs> he he and. Yeah. Um... Oh, Jalen Hampton. Hampton. Well, we'll just say they they haven't been practicing. Correct. There was a little Um, summer incident that you may have. Yeah. (laughs) And and then you get down to Keyshawn King at 180. He's the he's the lightest amongst the players that have been here. Yeah. Chance Black is also 182, but he's a true freshman. Yeah, they like what they've seen out of him so far. But you got to redshirt that guy. Yeah. 182 pounds on a six one frame, and he's a guy with some pass catching ability too that could potentially help out there down the line. You know, ultimately, there's so many guys that you want to narrow it down pretty quickly. I mean, here we are a week before a game, and you can't be repping seven guys at this point. Yeah. Because and the you're more, not, the, they're the, not. Like, if you spread the reps out, then those top guys aren't going to have as much much of an opportunity to get yeah. better. So, like, yeah. you know, I'm sure Adam Lechtenberg was telling those guys, like, well, you, you have to make a quick, good initial 
first impression. Yeah. I have to be impressed with you very quickly because you know, we start to get to mid to late August and we got to start play, preparing for North Carolina and there's seven or eight of you. I can't keep giving everybody reps, so you better come out of the gate strong. And, you know, you could say that for a lot of different positions this year, I think, because there's more scholarship players this year because last year didn't count. This is a very long roster. Yeah, it's <laughs> the longest roster we've ever had to print out. It's four pages. No, six pages? Six. Yeah. Well, I, I think out of that group, the guy that I think he could make the most impact on this team is Raheem Blackshear. I think, like Chris said, he had such a – a tough situation that he came into coming to a new place. And then you mentioned he got COVID was cleared a day before the game. I believe Fuente did mention that. And then I think he had a hamstring injury early yeah, on in the he season. Did. He did. So, cause he wasn't in shape cause he was out with COVID. Well, and, and then you see juice Herbert come in and basically take over a lot of the reps at running back. He was kind of sent into the background a little bit. I'm interested to see, how he's used, like Chris said, whether he's in the slot or in the backfield, and how much of an impact on the offense he can make. Is I, I agree. I think the explosive plays are probably the big thing that they need from him. I bet if you if you went up and down the lists of the top offenses in the country as far as their ranking, and then you looked up the top big play offenses, and you could do this on like uh, CollegeFootballStats.com. That's the one I use. Uh, there's a direct correlation. And mm-hmm. big plays and top teams in total offense. Yep. You need big plays. Um, well, hopefully the Hokies wide receivers will also bring some big plays, which transitions us over to that group. The one thing I noticed with this group is last year, I forget what it was. I was writing an article last fall where I mentioned that Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, and Caleb Smith were the only three receivers with a catch through five weeks at, yeah. or something like that. Do you feel like the depth is better this year? I think there are some oh, freshmen yeah. with, with Lofton and Jones coming in, and then obviously Payute coming back. I feel like that was the big thing when I looked at this position group, that it is definitely a lot deeper and a lot more options for Burmeister this year. I would definitely agree with that. Um, obviously, Tavion, Robinson, Trey Turner, we know what they could do. Uh, and some of the other guys that are returning, like Caleb Smith is listed at 215 right now. Well, you know, COVID wasn't too kind to him, and he came back like – he got heavy, right? 230 or 235, yeah. something like that. Uh, he's in a much better position uh, this year simply because he's in better shape. And I think, uh, you know, Dwayne Lofton and, J- and uh, Jalen Jones are going to play. Jaden Payout, Payout, if they can actually, you know, get his hamstring right, he's going to play a big role. Only I think, I think it was only two Virginia Tech receivers had double-digit catches last year. And you know, Trey and Tavion, and, yeah, and and the, and the years in the past, the best years had been four to six receivers had double digit catches, and I mean just wide receivers, not not tight ends, also. And I, I they'll be in the four to six range this year, I think. I'm not saying it's going to be six, but I, I think there there are more options there for sure. Um, some of the guys I had to put on the field last year, you know, Chenga Hodge, you know, transfer from Villanova. And the poor guy decides after practice start that he's going to leave Villanova because he doesn't know if Villanova is going to have a season or not. Right. So he transfers to Virginia Tech, and then as soon as he gets here, again, it's a brand-new offense for him. And then he has to quarantine because of COVID rules. Oh, and then they can't practice anyway because the whole dang team has COVID. So what could you really expect from him right. last year, right? And But yet he had to play a lot. He caught a lot of balls at Villanova, right? He caught like 76 balls this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And then he caught three last year. And I know I know there's a step 
down to Villanova. I mean, you're talking about FCS football, but Villanova's a good FCS program. Not quite JMU, but historically they're a good program. Like, it should have translated, it would have translated into more catches in a more normal normal situation. And then they had Evan Fares playing a lot, too, and kind of similar from Kansas. And uh, I, I just don't think... I don't think like the receiving talent was there for him. I think he was a good blocker, but I don't think he was talented enough to be a good receiver. Whereas I think you know guys like Payute and Lofton and and uh, Jalen Jones and, and even Caleb Smith, they have more receiving talent than he did, you, you, and, they, you, and they played him a lot. Last yeah, you year. had Trey and Tavion. You just listed four guys, and you had Trey and Tavion to that, and that's six guys that could be productive. So we'll see how it breaks out. Yeah, and I'm interested to see with this group. I think something that is a little constant over all these groups that we're talking about is all of them have a chance to actually have a normal preparation for the season. We talked yeah. about it with Burmeister and Blackshear and now Changa Hodge. I think that could be the most important thing, especially for the skill positions is just these guys being this, able to practice every this, day. This sounds too much like of an excuse, but I do believe that there's a, a different, there's, there is a difference between excuses and reasons. Uh, and Tech was not positioned well to deal with COVID last year. You've got a quarterback who's a transfer who's never gotten to practice the offense before. You've got a running back who's a transfer who's never gotten to practice the offense got before. Got a couple of wide receivers. Got a couple of wide receivers. And all these guys were, you know, expected to play roles, and they just never got a chance to work with yeah. them, not to mention the whole defense right. with a new staff. With a new so, defensive coordinator. Yeah, so, I mean. And a it, it, star it, quarterback sitting out. Sitting out. So it was effective. Like, the whole defense was affected by COVID, but, like, the critical positions on offense were also affected by it. And I'm, I'm not saying Tech was affected by it more than other teams, but maybe they were. And, and, and you know, we struggle to talk about this stuff because we, we follow Virginia Tech very closely. I don't know what the rest of college football was like. So when I sit here and say that Caleb Farley, I just had a thought. Caleb Farley sat out. How many star players for other teams sat out the entire season? Certainly nobody as good as Caleb Farley. Right. Not many really high draft picks that could have made a difference. I thought Farley's decision was going to start kind of a tidal wave of of opt-outs, and it didn't. There were a few. Jamar Chase from LSU was a big one, and he went top five. Oh, did he? Okay. I'm trying to think of any other ones. There there were a few out there, but again, Caleb Farley is – maybe third or fourth on that list at the, at the very lowest. Right. Yeah. So definitely that. And Jermaine Waller was also unavailable. For I mean, you're talking season. arguably the best player in the country at his position. Yes. Yep. Yes. So I think that's something we'll continue to see as we go through here, wide receivers and James Mitchell, I think is a good kind of. So do we even need to talk about tight ends? That's what Not I was really. wondering. Right? <laughs> Let's look like we know James Mitchell can play. Uh, Gallo has been solid. The guy probably to talk about is Julius. Yeah, uh, he, yes. he got in there and played a role last year, and I, they've been impressed with his progress. And he was a guy two four seven has a uh, had as a four star recruit and a top ten player in North Carolina coming uh, out of high school. Yeah. Um, and they were playing him as a true freshman in twenty seventeen as as a jump ball guy in the red zone. They played him a few snaps against Boston College, and all of a sudden, boom, he got hurt, and then he had to redshirt. And just never they never quite developed, but he finally started turning it on a bit last season, and, and they're real pleased with his progress and. He's going to play a role. Now, what's going to be interesting at tight end is all those guys played last year. Like, even Gallo, Julius, they played over 200 snaps last year, even with Mitchell on the team. Right. Uh, 
But that was when Tech had so few wide receiver options, right? Yeah. Now that Tech has more wide receiver options, you want to put a third wide receiver on the field or even a fourth wide receiver on the field, somebody's got to leave the field, right? And that's As opposed to a second tight end. Right, right. So how does that cut into the snaps of Gallo and, and Dulius? Yeah. Uh, it's a whole balancing act that has to be figured out. Some of it could be dependent on opposition. And so there's, there's so much talk about the transfer portal, but, but you know, let, let's give props to guys like Dulius yep. and Keyshawn Artis. Who yep. don't get a lot of playing time. Devin Hunter. Well, Hunter's supposed to start this year, but he's certainly a guy who could have packed it in yeah, earlier in for his sure. career. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and um so so seriously so what was Dulius's uh first year? Oh, he's uh he was Fuente's first recruiting class twenty seventeen. In the Lyle. transfer portal era, that's a long time to be with a team and not be playing a lot. Tyrell Smith is another one. Well, Tyrell's probably different. mentioned there. <laughs> Tyrell's different, man. Now be careful with your mic there. You look like you're about to pull it off the table. Oh, of course I am. Mics are so hard to get right. Well, I have to move it to reach my water. Right. Ugh. All right. Oh, well. So I, I think looking just at the entire group of skill positions and weapons for Braxton Burmeister with guys like Turner, Robinson, Payute, Matt Mitchell, Blackshear, all of these guys, how do you feel compared to previous years about the guys that Burmeister is going to have his options to throw to? Well, I don't think there's anyone as good as as Isaiah Ford. I don't think there's anybody as good as Cam Phillips. but Or anybody as good as uh, um, Khalil Herbert. Right. Um, but as, you know, as far as the receivers go, like in 2016, there was no depth. Like if Isaiah Ford had gotten hurt, then yeah, then all you've got is Cam and Bucky. I mean, that's it. Um, they had C.J. Carroll in the slot who caught like twelve passes, mm-hmm. but there were no other outside receivers. C.J. had a big catch against Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Right? He sure did. He did have a big catch against Notre Dame. So I don't feel like Tech has as many like stars. Like I felt like Isaiah Ford and 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 Cam Phillips and Bucky Hodges were stars. And I know Trey was a four-star recruit, but I don't consider him a star. Yeah. And I know good Tavion player. Robinson was a four-star recruit, but I, I don't think those guys are as good as Cam Phillips and, and, and Isaiah Ford. They might be in the recruiting rankings, but they're not on the actual field. Now, that yet. said, Let's add the word yet. 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 Uh, um, but although probably if Trey was going to get there, he's in his fourth year, he would have. he would have done it by now. You never but know, man. We'll see. You never know when uh, the light would go on for yeah, somebody. Yeah. Um, Contract I, I, I feel like it is a contract here. Um, <laughs> I feel like, though, there's more depth here than there was in 2016 when if Isaiah Ford had gotten hurt, it would have been an absolute disaster, basically. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, you, you could bring Jalen Jones and, 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 Caleb, and Caleb Smith and Dwayne Lofton into the game and they would dominate, but I, I don't think there would be as severe a drop-off as there would have been like in 2016. So right. there, there's two different ways to look at it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's as much star talent, but I do think there's more decent, solid players uh, uh, over the course of the entire, of the entire roster. And what's going to make those guys be able to execute their jobs, the offensive line, which is our final group here on offense. I think looking at the offensive line and you guys have your own thoughts. I think the talent is still there from last year, but maybe a little less depth. It seemed like, the last two years, maybe you could have line changes. You could have five different guys come onto the field and still keep the same quality of play. It seems like the top guys are still there, but maybe a little less behind them this year. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say, God, Tech went nine or ten deep probably last year. Mm-hmm. And this year it's maybe only going to be seven or eight deep, but considering like some past Virginia Tech offensive line didn't even go five deep 
<laughs> so, so rather than like run down all five positions, because we're already almost an hour in. Oh, God, um, are we really? Which, which one of the offensive line positions, I don't like to use the word worries, worries you? Uh, I, I like Tanut. Tanut is at left tackle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like him uh, there. Oh, and Smith is at left guard. Like him there. Like yeah. whoever starts at center. Whether know, it's Jordan or, or Hoffman. Or, or Hoffman. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know whether right guard or right tackle concerns me the most because I actually don't know who's going to start at either right. one. That's still very much in flux. Is it going to be Tyrell Smith at right tackle, Parker Clements? Janzy could start at either position. Apparently, they were extremely high on Caden Moore, redshirt fre- or I guess true freshman offensive lineman since last right. year didn't count, and he could factor into a starting role at right guard. Um, I would probably say right tackle just because I think it's maybe a little bit easier to to uh, help out a guard in blocking than, than it is. It's 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 easier to isolate an offensive tackle than it is an offensive guard. Right. So I guess I would say offensive tackle. Um, but I'm just it's it's not and I'm not, I'm not saying that I have no concerns about the offensive line it's just but it's just that Vance Vice has a proven track record of player development at this point and good coaching and so I'm just, it's just it's not something I'm it's not something that keeps me up at night. Yeah. It, yeah. it used to be like okay gosh Torian Gray lost all four starting defensive backs. <laughs> You do not worry about it at all in the offseason because, oh, my gosh, we lost Jimmy Williams. He's a starter. Who's his backup? Oh, Brandon Flowers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll nice. probably be okay. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing with Christian Darisol leaving. You might be a little more concerned about that, but it seems like there's, at the very least, good depth behind him Tenu- ready to step into Tenuta's the is going to get drafted. He's an, he's an NFL offensive All right, tackle, Chris is on so. record. Tanuta's going to get drafted. <laughs> oh, by the, speaking of Bo Davidson, I can finally say this since he's gone. It was Bo Davidson who told somebody I know on the staff a couple years ago that Tanuta is a, is a future first-round pick. And that was years ago when they were recruiting him. No, that, that was right after well, right he after enrolled. he showed up. Right? Yeah, yeah, right after yeah. he showed up. They got to look at him and said, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've had I've had a few classes with Luke Tenuta. I can he, he's got the frame. <laughs> I don't know sure. if he's actually six nine. I mean, he was listed at six seven last year. Generally, you don't grow two inches when you're not at his age. But, right. you know, so well, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point, anyway. Well, I think looking through the offense, obviously it looks a little bit better than last year. Maybe a little deeper, especially at skill positions. So uh, some optimism on that side of the ball, especially with with Braxton Burmeister leading the way. Well, I just think Burmeister does such a good job with the running game. You know, I mean, the, the read option is going to be in a very effective play this year, even though Khalil Herbert's not here. So, Well, I think that's a good time to take our first break. We're going to get to the defense at some point uh, after this break. We're going to look through the, lo- the defensive line to start and obviously the secondary with a lot of young guys stepping in. So excited to get to that. And Justin Hamilton's really first full year as the defensive coordinator with a full year of practice and everything. So we'll get to that. We're also going to look big picture at the Hokies season coming up right after this break here on episode 186 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We welcome you back on episode 186 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Kind of a fall camp recap and looking ahead at the upcoming 2021 Hokies football season. Jake Lyman, your host here with 
the founder and general manager of TechSideline.com, Will Stewart. Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist, going to take a while to get that one down. And behind the scenes, we have our managing editor, David Cunningham. He's also our producer today. We're going to get him involved in the second half of this show. We've already gone through the offense today. And before we get into the defense, I want to say, if you have any questions for Will or Chris, at the end of the show, we'll get to them. Make sure you drop them in the YouTube chat. David is monitoring those behind the scenes. Uh, So the offense, we went through it. I think pretty optimistic look at the offense with a lot of guys finally getting to step into their roles fully with spring practice and fall practice defense maybe even more so especially with Justin Hamilton at the helm kind of finally getting to settle in and get himself his new system and everything all in all all put in place for this 2021 year and we'll start on the defensive line I think that is a pretty deep group for this team with some star power on the line as well I think Amari Barno is probably one of the more guys who were primed for a huge breakout yeah. this season. He was named to an All-ACC team. And then Jordan Williams, who you mentioned, is going to be a key player for this guy on the line. How huge for this season do you think it is for those two to have big years and, and to kind of live up to those expectations? It's big for those guys, but I'll tell you who I'm really going to be watching is Josh Josh Fuga. Uh, so one of the things that happens is uh, we have to process a lot of photos at the beginning of the year. So our photographers go out and they take pictures and you go through them and you catalog them and you tag them and you put them in the media library. And tell me if you agree with this, Chris, Josh Fuga is a guy who has just transformed himself. Lost 15 pounds and still a big guy at 308, but it's a solid, solid mass. He he, he, he had that kind of whole wide fat body thing going on when he was first here and that that's gone, that's gone, you know, and I missed an opportunity talking about pictures. I was out there one of the first days of practice taking pictures and they, they had all the DL position group together and they, you know, they're, they're in their, uh, pads, I guess they were just in their jerseys, but they're posing for, you know, the, the position group picture and they come off and, and, and Fuga, flexes and he's got fuga tattooed on the inside of his bicep and i'm like oh i gotta get a picture of that before we're done here but fuga was not this was media day and fuga was not one of the guys scheduled to be interviewed so he pulled his jersey off and left Mm. so i missed the opportunity to get this real cool picture of, of fuga flexing with his name on the inside of his bicep um so I guess that was the day I got a man crush on, on Josh Fuga. Yeah, so. you, you wonder if he's going to pull that out for a sack celebration or something this year, just flex. Oh, got, yeah. And you got the point. big Fuga he, on your Well, that's what he did bicycle. that day. He pointed. <laughs> it. He'll, exactly. He'll do the same thing. So uh, that that's a guy I'm excited about. When we went over Jordan Williams and uh, Barno. Chris, how much weight has Barno put on? Cause he out, he put 10. on 10 pounds. Yeah. He was 235 last year. He's listed at 245 now. That dude's and got he, such long legs. Uh, yeah, you know? it's kind of hard to tell. But, yeah, he's – He's definitely, I think his arms are more filled out. Um, uh, Just still has plenty of room to grow, too, and and still keep the same type of athletic ability. So I think, if you recall, he only got moved to defensive end last year. Was it in fall practice? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't in spring, clearly. (laughs) Yeah. True. (laughs) And and so he had really no time. None. And and I, I was reading something. That was written last year where, where Fuente was really praising him, saying, you know, for a guy that just got moved to the position, he's he's picked it up pretty yeah. well. Um, and, you know, they had tried to talk him into moving to it earlier. Yeah. Uh, but for it took him a while. I wish they'd been able to do it a year earlier, but oh well. All's, all, he, all's well that ends well. Did he start as a backer? Is that right? 
He came yes. in as a backer. He was a safety in high school, and then he kept growing. So he was kind of like a whip type edge guy at the JUCO level. Yeah. And then he kept growing. And then he was a backer his first year at Tech. And then he kept growing. And he's a defensive end. This will be his last position change. <laughs> but uh, he's at the spot um, he needs to be to be successful. And I, I feel better about the Tech defensive line in some ways this year simply because you know they're just so much more familiar with the scheme uh, you can say that about every at least from a practice defense. standpoint yeah, yeah exactly um I, I i feel better about it though that like when you look at mario kendricks his arms are just bigger like they didn't get in a weight room off season last year and they did this year and you can tell it right. when you look at them um now, I do have some concerns, obviously some depth concerns, but, you know, I, I thought last year Tech was fortunate like in that, you know, they went out and got Justice Reed, who is a f- great fit for this defensive scheme. Amari Barno, with his long arms, is a fit for this defensive scheme. Even Emmanuel Belmar, with the things he was physically good at, was a better fit for this defensive scheme than I think he was the Bud Foster defensive scheme. And, so they and, were, and if you haven't heard, Belmar's retired from the, Yeah, and I'm getting to that. So I think their top three defensive ends last year were all good fits for the scheme. And I, I just look at that this year, and I see Barno as a fit for the scheme. And I, I, I don't know that anybody else is until you get down to, like, true freshman Cole Nelson and true freshman Matthias Carroll, mm-hmm. who I think should redshirt. Um, yeah. You know, Will Panay to a certain extent, but again, he just moved to defensive end from tight end. He's still very, very new to the position. So I'm a little bit concerned from that standpoint. And But, you know, that should be balanced out by the fact that there's more scheme familiarity this year. Hmm. I'm just excited to see Amari Barno on a field again. I felt like last year watching the defense, he was the one guy who popped off the screen more than everybody else. It seemed like he was making a play on the edge every time. And he's got the NFL body. I think maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think he could maybe be the next higher NFL draft pick coming out of this team. It's certainly possible. And his health is paramount to the success of this team. I mean, what defensive end is going to make a play if, if Amari Barno is not on the field? Honestly, none of the rest of these guys are sack masters or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think Taiwan Garbutt is a solid player. Uh, he has the ability, as he calls it, you know, to get skinny and things like that. But he's going to be asked to do something a little different in this scheme that, than he has in, in, in the past. And I think Jalen Griffin improved last year because I think he's a little better fit for – or he's a, not a bad fit for, for the new scheme. But uh, – you just don't – outside of Belmar – excuse me, not Belmar. Outside of Barno, you don't see a big playmaking defensive end on this team. So, it's imperative that, that Barno stay healthy. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. If you look at the young guys like Carroll and, and Panay and um, – who am I leaving out? Cole Nelson. Cole Nelson. You know, they're all, they're all in that, that 6'3 to 6'5, 240, yeah. 250 range. Yes, and Garbutt you know? is 6'1, if that. Yeah. And Jalen Griffin is six foot, right? Um, and Eli Adams is 5'11". Yeah, Gr- Gr- Griffin's listed at 6'1". And, right. And, and Adams listed at 5'11". <laughs> um, so a guy we haven't quite talked about yet is Narelle Pollard. Yeah. and that's um, 15 pounds of muscle, I mean. And he looks good. Yeah. But still 281, 281 is really small for a defensive tackle in this day and age. Yeah. And I, I mean, 281 is even small for the Bud Foster scheme, which used smaller defensive tackles. So, uh, so, so it'll be interesting to see Pollard's situational. I don't, I don't think he's going to start because I think he's a good natural football yeah, player. Yeah, I agree. But I just 
that size is is very very concerning. I, I, but the thing is, if he if he gets any bigger, I don't think it's good weight on him either. No, it, it, seeing him at practice, right? Uh, uh, I'm not quite sure how to phrase this, but you look at him and you're like, you're you're, you're busting out. That's as big as you can get and still be effective. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's situational, like if they bring him in on passing downs to pitch a fit, as Charlie Wiles used to say, if, if that's fit. still a thing. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a situation they could potentially use Eli Adams at defensive end on third and long. Now, he probably is the, maybe the quickest of the defensive ends not named Amari Barna. Right. So if it's third and 12 or third and nine or something like that, and you pretty much know they're going to throw it, you know, maybe that's your best pass rushing combo right there is, is, is Amari Barna at one end and Eli Adams on the other. It, so it's interesting to look at the D-line and, and you talk about the portal and you see a lot of guys that maybe they're, they're not – great fits or they were recruited under a different regime and they're pretty much all still here pollard adams griffin you know belmar would have still been here because he of course he's a good player but again that's a lot of guys on the dl who have stuck it out and worked hard right well i think looking at the interior of the defensive line we mentioned jordan williams he's almost certainly going to be one of the starters but then it's that trio of guys that all came in at the same time fuga kendricks and pollard who do you think plays the biggest role out of those three up up the middle well, I got a crush on Fuga, so I'm gonna say Fuga. <laughs> but but that's not. I I like, I I really like Kendricks. You know, I I, I like all three guys. So I, I hate to have to pick one. You know, but I I would love. To, so you talk about keys to the season. Who's who's gonna just completely surprise you, and have a great year? It'd be awesome. Awesome if it'd be a guy like Fuga. Yeah, I'd be awesome if it was any of those guys. <laughs> any of them. <laughs> I'll take any of them. <laughs> yeah. Whoever yeah. steps up is going to get that spot. Well, looking back at linebackers, guys have to step up as well with Rayshard Ashby gone. Kind of has been that guy in the middle of the defense who's – you always know where he's going to be. He's going to make the right play. Now you see not only Dax Hollyfield have to step up into a larger role, also Alan Tisdale is stepping up. Those two guys, they've been around for a while, but – Correct me if I'm wrong. I think these are huge seasons for both of these guys with Dax finally getting a real position at the mic and not having to rotate back and forth and Alan Tisdale trying to put his athleticism together and turn it into production. This is going to – So, well, I was going to say Jack Tyler spoke to the media just the other day. Yes. So, so I, I didn't get a chance to read the articles or watch the press conference. But so the stuff you're getting on the linebackers is as recent as you're going to get. Yeah, it is. Um and I'm going to say, this is going to sound odd, but Virginia Tech has upgraded from Rayshard Ashby to Dax Holyfield with a mic position. And I'm not saying they've upgraded from the 2018 and 2019 Rayshard Ashby, but mm-hmm. I'm saying they've upgraded from the 2020 Rayshard Ashby, who was about 25 pounds overweight last year, probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're going to get better at that position. They're going to get better at the backer position because Tisdale has put on 18 pounds and he actually looks the part now. Um so I'd be surprised, shocked even, if Tech didn't have better linebacker play this year than they did last year. I think they've updated, upgraded at both positions. So I know that, that we've been saying for a long time that Dax at backer was out of position. Yeah. What did Jack Tyler have to say about how Dax has been doing this fall? He's the guy that really matters. We, we people can say all we want, but what did Jack Tyler say, if anything? Uh, here, here's the part that's a little bit concerning. Um, he, he called him perfect as far as like his work ethic and the thing he brings to the locker room and things like that and that Mike is his natural position. I, I do think he's struggled to get off blocks and recognize plays throughout his career and just mm-hmm. doesn't play as strong as he looks. Um, 
I, as far as playing in space, he's not wasn't really suited to play in space as a backer, but he shouldn't have had trouble with the inside stuff that a backer has has to handle, and, and he did have trouble with with that at times. Uh, it's kind of similar to how they talk about Devin Hunter, like they they're they're the coaches just rave about their personalities and work ethic and things like that. But it's almost, and I wrote this in my in my defensive back article today specifically about Devin Hunter. Like when they get asked about Keonta Jenkins or when they get asked about Jalen Jones or Dwayne Lofton, the coaches are like, oh, studs, or they've got a chance to be special, elite talents and things like no, that. they make plays. Right, right. And then when they talk about Devin Hunter and Dax Holyfield, they basically say, oh, they're just hardworking guys, great worth it, it's a great fit for the locker room. They never talk about their actual talent level and right. how good they are at football. And that actually is my – I'm a little bit concerned about that with Dax. Now, I do think – He's in a situation that he's much better suited for this year. But, like, he just – to me, he never played, like, as strong on the field as, as he looks, and, and that's a concern to me. I, I agree with that. You know, I've watched him a fair amount in isolation over the years, and, and sometimes he's in the wrong spot. Other times he's in the right spot, but he's he gets kind of blocked out of the play, and other times he makes plays. So the the hope, the optimist, optimistic viewpoint is if that if that – if a guy's out of position and he's not comfortable with the position, it uh, it makes him, I don't want to use the word weaker, it makes him less effective. His angles aren't as good, his confidence isn't yep. as, he's kind of running up to a play as opposed to attacking a play. Yep. And these are all things that, you know, again, you talk about the light bulb going on. And right. you, you just hope that right. he, something clicks, yes. you know, and that he plays up to his potential. Yep. And I think having that trio of guys last year, Ashby, Hollyfield, and Tisdale, made everybody feel pretty good about the linebacking group because not only did you have two great starters, but Hollyfield could pretty much fill in at either spot. Now how do you feel about the depth behind him? Because it looks like it's a little bit thinner behind those top two guys. I'm a big fan of Dean Ferguson. Uh, Will and I were out to dinner at Cabo Fish Taco earlier this summer. And this dude rolls in wearing a grit hat, which I've always wanted. <laughs> I, should, I, I would have paid him $100 for that grit hat. If and you could now time. under NIL. <laughs> You're right, I could have. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he's a big guy. All you got to do is get him to sign it. You're right. And, uh, it's, he's <laughs> built, built like a tank. And I'm like, which defensive end is that? That doesn't. He doesn't look familiar. And then I'm looking through pictures on Twitter a few days later, and it's like the whole linebacker group at Jack Tyler's house. And I'm like – that's that that guy I thought was a defensive end. That's Mike linebacker Dean Ferguson. I mean, this dude is is a monster. See, I've been, I've been waiting for Chris to have that moment because I, I watched Cam <laughs> Chancellor walk in a room one time, and I thought, "Who's the defensive end that I don't, I don't recognize?" <laughs> yeah, you know, same um, thing. Yeah, and I think he showed a heavy shoulder on the kickoff team last year, and he's going to be good in coverage because um, he was a safety type. Tech's recruiting a lot of linebackers, even for the Mike and backer spots right now that were safeties in high school, Jaden Keller, Will Johnston, Lakeem Rudolph, or, or the other examples there, because I think Justin Hamilton feels in, in this modern day of football, it's imperative that your linebackers be extremely athletic and good in coverage. So I think Ferguson, you know, he's probably still learning to be a traditional linebacker to a certain extent, but he brings good athleticism, good strength and good coverage to that position. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's ready yet, but 
Uh, I feel good about his future. All I got to do is look at the guy and, and know he works hard. The funny thing about him is like both his parents went to UVA and he still picked Tech over over UVA. Yeah. Uh, they've apparently made move Kashawn Artis to backer, which doesn't make a lot of sense to he me. He always looked like a Mike to me. Absolutely. But I, I think they view Dean Ferguson as their Mike of the future. And I think they want to get him as many reps, practice reps at Mike as possible to, you know, speed up his development to, you know, if Dax doesn't want to come back next year, then then Ferguson's ready to play and everything like that. But on the whole, you know, I, I look at this group of linebackers and it, and it's, it's normal for a new coaching staff when there's a schematic change and you, you see a position and you just don't see guys that you, it's your position who are system fits at all. And as good a player as Rashad Ashby was when he was in shape, there's no chance, in my opinion, Justin Hamilton would have recruited him to play defense in the current scheme. I'm not even sure he would have recruited Dax to play defense right. in the in this current scheme. Um, and you, 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 so you can look at the linebackers that they've recruited. You know, the last couple of years, you like your Will Johnson and, and your Jaden Keller and, and C.J. McCray. And and Dean Ferguson and and Lakeem Rudolph and this is the, they've over recruited the position because they had so few bodies at it, particularly so few bodies that were actually schematic fits for what they want to do. So there's going to be a, attrition there. Uh, some of it attrition from like I, like I think Lakeem Rudolph might keep growing and be a defensive end. And and the sooner he makes that move, in my opinion, the six, better. Six four two twenty seven. Yeah, that was a big defensive end back in the day. <laughs> it was a big defensive end back in the day. Um, Corey Moore at six zero two two ten or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, Will Johnson's obviously out for the year with an injury. They're really like what they've seen so far from Jaden Keller. Um, yeah, I, I like the I like the overall. The funny thing is, like like the deeper you get. Tisdale's really athletic, but generally speaking, the deeper you get into the depth chart, the more athletic this group is, which is the difference between what, in my opinion, Justin Hamilton was looking for and, and what Bud Foster was kind of looking for towards the end of his career. Right. So we're still in a transitionary phase. I mean, you can't make a freshman play yeah. like a senior just like that, you know? So it's, it's, we're still in a trans transitionary phase, but I can, I can look at these guys and when I see them in person, when I saw them in person at the open practices and, saw the type of athletes they were. It, it gave me an even better idea of, of, of Justin Hamilton's template. And I'm just glad – I don't know whether, like, the strategy will work long-term as far as the defense he's, that he's trying to build. I'm just glad that there is a strategy because there wasn't <laughs> one before towards the end of the Bud Foster tenure. And I think it's important to have a plan, and they've got yeah. one, though. Yeah, the front seven, I mean, I think kind of – Another trend that we noticed was a lot of guys from that Bud Foster scheme who were kind of trying to be pushed into the new era with Justin Hamilton. A lot of talent there as well, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how those guys develop and, and continue to play. Um, now we can look at secondary, which obviously that's what the Virginia Tech is known for is uh, DBU, uh, should you say. Um, and looking at the cornerbacks, I think Jermaine Waller is obviously the one that's going to pop off the screen there were some people saying back in 2019 he may have had an even better season than Caleb Farley did that year but then he only played in two games I want to say three and last year and he shouldn't have played in those yeah exactly yeah he came he came back for Liberty after missing most of the first half of the season then didn't play again after that so looking at him 
is that going to be the key for that secondary is that he gets back to his form or at least close I, to it of 2019 I, I think most people would say that i don't think so i think hmm. tech's got two other very good corners i think dorian strong had a great season last year and apparently Armani Chapman is, is really is pushing strong did, right did, now. Did Fuente say that Chapman's had his best uh fall yeah, yeah, absolutely. And <coughs> and Excuse apparently me. that's a that's a legit competition. And I know how good Dorian Strong is, and if Armani Chapman Chapman is actually challenging him, then that means Armani Chapman's good. And right. you know, by the behind them you got <clears throat> Breon Murray who has a lot of experience too. So I I don't think it's like I don't think that's the most important thing for Virginia Tech secondary. Jermaine Waller was the second highest grading cornerback in the ACC two years ago behind Caleb Farley. I mean, pretty incredible. Uh, if he gets back to that level, I consider it a bonus. But I don't think it's 100% the most important thing for the secondary. The most important thing for the secondary is, in my opinion, how well is Devin Hunter going to play at Rover or whoever. Right. Uh, it reminds me of the 2019 defense, and I wrote this in an article today, in that I think it's very strong on the outside at corner, but there are weaknesses over the middle in coverage. Uh, Chamari Connor's a really good football player, but I was looking at PFF earlier today. He, he like last year he got targeted twenty more times than any other defensive back because he's just not that great in coverage. And the example so, I go back to is is that UNC would would put Daz Newsom on him and go after him. Well, uh, I put those numbers actually in my article today. You can go look at them. But like UNC was nine of ten for like 180 yards and three touchdowns against him two years ago. I know when they targeted they, they picked right him right. Big time. So and at the safety spots again, I love Keonta Jenkins. I think Keonta Jenkins has a great future. And I think after this year, your starting combo at both safety spots is going to be Keonta Jenkins and Jalen Stroman. And I think that combo is going to be elite for three years. Absolutely elite. But Keonta Jenkins is still only, he's only a true freshman right now, and the other guy back there is Devin Hunter. Do you know and, off the top of your head how much Jenkins played last year? Didn't he? Didn't he start out strong? And get oh, hurt or well, he got. COVID, he was, COVID he was listed as the starter he, heading into the season. He started the first two games of the season, and he played great against NC State. And got one of those open field tackles he made against one of their running backs, where Jenkins was the only guy mm. within twenty yards, and he had to bring him down, and it was just and like he did. It was it was awesome, and yeah. then he got COVID, I'm pretty sure, and never got back into it. Okay, um, so you're right; he's basically a true freshman. The, the 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 reason Devin Taylor played so much is because Keonta Jenkins got COVID and stopped progressing once he got COVID. right. Right. Um, I think he's going to be great, but he's still only a true freshman, and he's going to go up against Sam Howell that first game. So we'll see. Uh, Devin Hunter is another one of those guys, and I put some of these quotes in my article today, which you, you can go read later. They asked him, you know, they, they were asking Justin Hamilton and, and the coaches about the safeties and, and, and the corners, and and they're all like, oh, this guy's awesome. This guy's great. Uh, Keonta Jenkins is going to be a special player. And they got to Devin Hunter, and, they, and he was like, oh, he's great for the locker room. He works really hard, and Everybody hopes he'll be able, he'll be able to do what we ask of him, right? It's, it was kind of like how they talk about Dax yeah. Holyfield sometimes, right? So I I, I have <clears throat> concerns about pass defense over the middle because of all the things that I just I just mentioned. Now I want to look back at the three cornerbacks behind Waller quickly. Just those three were the top three cornerbacks for ninety percent of the season last year, and. It, We've been talking about how COVID has negatively impact a lot of players on this 
Virginia Tech roster. Do you think that's one of the areas where COVID may have helped those guys because they have legitimate game reps now and yeah. bring that in? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you if you think about it, um, <clears throat> Counter Jenkins will be one of the most experienced true freshmen in the country, <laughs> and Dorian Sprong will be the most experienced true freshman cornerback in the country, buddy. Uh, you know, even Nadir Thompson's probably the fifth cornerback right now, and he started – I think he started the UNC game last year or one of those games uh, because everybody else was out. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why that game went the way it did. Right, right. But, but like, I don't think Nadir Thompson is, like, a bad player or anything. It was just a bad situation for him last year. But, you know, when you've got five cornerbacks who have game experience and who have started a game, I mean, that can only be a a good thing. Um, It's just uh, somebody – I know coaches, they, they want to rotate everybody, but, like, if Jermaine Waller proves that he's back to his old self and Dorian Strong plays like he played last year and Armani Chapman plays like the guy who is supposedly challenging Dorian Strong right now, but how do you rotate anybody else in there? How do you take Jermaine Waller off the field right. to, to, yeah. to bring somebody else in just to make them happy? And, oh, we don't want him to hit the portal. Well, they tried that you know before in the past and they had a cornerback a few years ago that they played more than they should because i heard you know one of the coaches say something or the coaches made an off the record comment to somebody they played this guy because they didn't want him to go into the tank and he was from an important area and in state recruiting and things like that and that you know he went out there and got burned against boston college in the first game of the season and it cost him a football game like they actually took out caleb farley or jermaine waller because of those other things to put him in and boom, he got burned. They lost the game by seven, hmm. you know, so got to play your best players and don't worry about that other stuff. Hmm. Well, we t- taking a look at the defense, obviously a huge year for Justin Hamilton, having everything in front of him and a full off season. So it'll be interesting to see how that unit performs again with some expectations with a lot of those players out there. Uh, before we move on, I do want to take a look at special teams because punters are people too. I would like to take uh, a look at special teams myself. <laughs> well, if we don't, no people will ask what about special teams. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's also – there's been a lot of turmoil in that area, losing Oscar Bradburn and Brian Johnson, who had been pretty much the staples of that area for the last couple of years. How are you guys feeling about that area, that phase of the game, especially with some unknowns out there? So Shebist also talked to the press the he other did. day, so you got the latest stuff on that. And he said uh, – Chris, fill it in. What did he say? <laughs> um, I, can't, I can't remember Thanks. the. Uh, see, I can't remember the Peter. 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 Moore. Peter Moore is going to be the starting punter. Um, <laughs> this is he, tough. He, he punted against UVA last year when Bradburn was hurt. Right. Didn't do. Didn't so go well. great. Yeah, but he's. Uh, as Sheba said, like he's done really well in practice. Now it's got to translate right. into games. John Parker Romo is going to kick off and do field goals. Um, the thing is, like, John Parker Romo has also started a punter in the Notre Dame game in 2019 when Bradburn was hurt, and he punted awesome that game. Yeah. So, like, to me, I really want John Parker Romo to do all three, <laughs> I think. But the thing is, if he got hurt, then you'd lose your kickoff guy, your field goal kicker, and your punter. So you really can't open tryouts. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. So well, well, and John Parker almost got the personality too. I'm excited to see him in front of a full lane stadium with him running down after kickoffs. Trot, I always thought that was fun the, to the watch. Prance, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know he prances before he kicks. What does he do after the kickoff? Uh, after the kickoff, I believe he runs down and like 
up to the stands or something, not right. into, uh, but something right. like that. So I'm, right. I'm interested to see him in front of a full Wayne okay. Stadium next All week. Right. Uh, um, so now, so we got to talk about the returners, right? Yes, Tavion and, Robinson getting some reps. I heard, heard he, I heard he returned a punt for a touchdown in one of their scrimmages. Okay. Um, and I don't know if this was their full contact scrimmage or not. I assume that it was. But, uh, you know, had a rough go of it last year. But he would dominate it as, as a freshman. So yeah. now he straight up told us at media day, he was like, yeah, I didn't work as hard last year. Because I guess, you know, he had had so much success. And – you know, maybe he was just distracted by all the issues last year heading into it. Some people handle that differently. But uh, if he plays to his potential, that's certainly his spot to lose. And and Sheba said he's looked good so far. So it's not going to question it until he goes out there and messes up. Right. All right. And Keyshawn King at uh, kickoff return. Kickoff return. Um, you know, the whole COVID thing, It uh, so I had three kids in college last year and – <clears throat> two boys sophomore and a senior and the whole sitting in front of your computer taking classes thing that didn't do them a whole lot of good didn't bother my daughter at all she's a freshman and she just she killed it you know so this this stuff all affects people in different ways so when he says he didn't work as hard did he say it was because of his success or no he didn't really specify to be right. honest with yeah. you i mean i just assume that but i don't know it was hard to work as hard last year yeah. i'll say that um, you're just wondering if you're going to play in the next game. <laughs> yeah. So, which is why, like, like uh, yes, you yes, last year counts. It's it's on your record, so it counts. But like, you got to take everything, not just Virginia Tech, but everybody, everything everybody did last year with a little bit of a grain of salt. I think. Yeah. Well. If you want to get more information on all the positional previews, you can check out the articles on TechSideline.com for subscribers. Chris went through all of them, and David, behind the scenes, our managing editor, also has some previews on position players as well. So we looked through all of them, and now I kind of want to look back and just get one player from each of you guys who could break out this season. I want somebody maybe that's not on everybody's radar, and I want to get David in, in on this as well. Somebody maybe younger, maybe you haven't seen before, that could contribute. Radar. Uh pretty significantly this season i don't know man we're, we're so close to things uh we, we hear about everybody and think about everybody do we i haven't heard a lot this preseason not as much as i have in the past mm-hmm. uh, they've locked it down pretty good all right uh, uh so so how about we name somebody that we hope breaks out there you go <laughs> that works for he's me he's gonna say fuga <laughs> well there's that but but i i think jordan williams is more i don't want to say he's more important than fuga but but he's a guy that, uh, as a high level recruit, a guy who's in a big big time program, um, if he comes in and helps set the tone on a defense that struggled last year, um, that's he's 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 actually first in line for me, right ahead of Fuga. So yeah, I'll, I'll go I'll go with I can go with either one of these guys or both preferably, but by the way, they both play the same position on offense as either Blackshear or Kishon King. Yeah. I, I chunk yardage is so important in football these days. And those guys' athletic ability make them the most likely to pick up chunk yardage. But they have to show that they're consistent football players to get on the field. If they're not on the field as much, then those chunk yardage plays become less likely. So we need one or, or preferably both of those guys to be in the game as much as possible because that improves your chances of getting those 20-plus yard plays. I would say Blackshear would be more likely. Right. I mean, because he can 
hit you from a running roll and a catching roll. And we've seen him do it somewhere else. Yeah, yes. you've, you've seen the highlights. I, mean, I watch those highlights, and, you know, he's playing against Wisconsin and Michigan and teams like that and looks really good. So I know it's there. Yeah. I think that's a big one once he gets settled in. If he could take that next step, that would possibly take the offense to the next level. I want to check in with David for the first time. He's been our best producer he's, in the he's land. He's falling asleep. Back che- there. Check on our managing editor. Who do you think could break out this season for the Hokies? So I'm on webcam now, which is a little weird. Um, Breakout wise, it's funny because I was thinking about defense and you kind of said, Will, what I was thinking defensively. And Chris kind of said what I was thinking offensively. I would love to see James Mitchell. And it sounds weird to say breakout because he's as good of a player, you know, best tight end of the ACC. You mean catch more than 21 passes. But he needs to get... You know, he needs to have four or five targets a game. Kyle Pitts type attention. Yes. When when you have the talent that James Mitchell has, you need to get him the ball consistently. Because if they get James Mitchell the ball at a Kyle Pitts esque rate and he's getting five receptions a game, you know, and they maybe use him at the goal line on a jet sweep and he scores a touchdown. It opens up the offense in so many different ways because you have a guy that, you know, it's at his size, at his, with with his ability, his athleticism, he's tough to cover, you know, by by linebackers, by cornerbacks, just in general. So then, you know, the defenses have to adjust and they have to try to, you know, adjust their defense to him. And it, I think it'll open up things other ways. You know, I, I think Keyshawn King and Raheem Blackshear both need to have breakout seasons and defensively. Um, you know, I hope um, at, at linebacker Dax and Tisdale both really fit there because I think those are two guys that haven't, you know, they've been behind Rayshard Ashby or beside him. Uh, and I think everybody's excited to see what Dax can do. And I wrote about it earlier this week. Out of anybody that's been on this team defensively for three seasons, Dax Hollyfield has played the most snaps out of anybody. So... He's the guy that's got experience on that defense. Can Dax Hollyfield finally step up to that challenge and be, as da- as Jack Tyler said, the guy, the quarterback of that defense? So that's that's who I'm looking for to have a breakout year. James Mitchell's not, you know, y- your average answer, but I think he needs to be more involved in the offense. Three different answers to that question. That's just, that's it would have been boring if we all had the same one. Exactly. So my <clears throat> my recollection, excuse me of James Mitchell is uh, some jet sweeps and some some scheming him open. Would you say that's Smoke a fair? Smoke mirrors open. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's fair. You know, how, how about just... I, I don't know how many jet sweeps he actually did. I know he had like one on the well, goal Well, not jet line. sweeps. They're, they're all the most memorable, though. Oh. Okay. Well, he scores touchdowns, though. Yeah. I, and I think that's the thing with James Mitchell. You watch him and you say, that's an elite-level tight end, but you look at the statistics and maybe that it's doesn't match the thought that you had in your mind. So you're not looking for him to break out. You're looking for him to blow up. Essentially, yeah. yeah. I, I think that James – I mean, you guys you guys know the, the statistics. You know, when he's only getting two or three you – know, I'm sure he's getting more targets, but he's only getting two or three catches a game, and he's essentially Virginia Tech's best offensive weapon. Last year you could have said it was Khalil Herbert. Is your mic on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, my mic. No, no, no. no. Well, it's set up so that if, if his camera isn't on, his mic's not. On. No, no, my camera. Mike, right. I'm, go I'm good. Sorry to interrupt. No, I, you know, 
Khalil Herbert was Tech's best offensive weapon last year because he opened up so many things. James Mitchell is, or I think, is the best offensive weapon for Virginia Tech this year. And all offseason, we've heard about his chemistry with Braxton Burmeister and how Braxton Burmeister is this, you know, maybe the best quarterback Fuentes had yet and how he's so confident. It's, okay, can you get James Mitchell the ball? Because he, he's, he's the guy that can open up so many things, I think, because you don't have a Khalil Herbert type back unless somebody like Keyshawn King breaks out. I think, yeah, James Mitchell needs a blow-up year because – it would open up so many more things. Uh, yeah, and I, I, he'll catch more passes this year because Tech's going to throw the ball more this year, in my opinion. You look at back at some of their games last year, like where they threw it 10 times against Boston College hmm. and Louisville. Um, Tech only threw it last year when either they got behind and they had to or when they were in a favorable sit- down and distance situation. Other than that, they were going to run the football, and the reason for that is because they couldn't throw it. So I, I think they're going to be a, a, just in a better situation this year there as far as their ability to complete passes at an efficient rate. And I, I agree with David there. I think James Mitchell could be the key to unlocking that offense. You have so many weapons around him, but if you have James Mitchell up the middle of the field, that, that just creates a whole other weapon for the defense that, ha- that they have to defend every single snap. So we've gone through all the players before we get to some questions from the YouTube chat, I think we got to talk with, about the man in charge. I think that's where a lot of the eyes are heading into this season is Justin Fuente. There were rumors about him after last season, and I, I was looking online just to see where the national media kind of had him. And there was an article from Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports, and he ranked <laughs> all 130 FBS football coaches. There were three that were a five out of five in terms of hot seat, which he labeled as win or you're done. Or you're gone. And it was Scott Frost. I'm blanking on UConn's head coach. Is it Randy Etzel? Randy Etzel. He's yes, back. that that is it. Yes, <laughs> it is Randy. So Scott Frost in Nebraska, Randy Etzel at UConn, and Justin Fuente. So I want to get your thoughts on first off, where do you stand on Justin Fuente entering the 2021 season? And what does he have to do in order to get off that hot seat this season? So that has been uh, the question that people have asked me this this summer. They see me and, you know, they haven't seen me in a while. They're like, what do you think about Justin Fuente? And I tell them, I see a guy who's I think is really starting to figure it out. And some of it's not just on him. Some of it's on the athletic department as a whole, the facilities coming in the line. Um, changes in personnel. Um, uh, but I, wasn't able to assemble his complete defensive staff. Yeah. When he to, you know, so I, just, I just, I feel like a guy who, number one, he's starting to get certain things. And um, the, the way he is, and, and I, I know this is one of the topics you wanted to talk about. He's talking about individual players, for example, in a more positive fashion, more than he ever has before. And so, so one of the things Chris and I, debated and argued about in the past was how Fuente wouldn't wouldn't hype up his individual players which gets fans excited when Michael Vick was redshirting and running the scout team Frank didn't hesitate to say oh man that guy's gonna be good (laughs) and and so when you went to the spring game the spring of 99 you went to see Michael Vick and the guy never stepped on the field and Fuente didn't do that sort of stuff. So Chris and I would talk about this. And Chris said, well, people tell me he's, he's just, he doesn't emphasize the individual. It's all about team. Well, with NIL coming along and the transfer portal getting so active, and this is just one, one small point I'm making here. 
he seems to have realized I need to talk about my individual players. I need to hype them up to get the fans excited. I need to help them out with NIL by making them, putting them in people's minds. I need to uh, butter them up publicly so when they start thinking about the transfer portal, maybe they'll be less likely to go into it. This is me just guessing what's going on in Fuente's head, but I do see the external differences. He comes and he sits on the Tech Sideline podcast. That would not have happened like ever. So these are things that are changing. And I, so I tell people, I, I see a guy that I think is really starting to figure stuff out. And it would be a shame if it's just too late and they go four and eight and he gets canned. It's, it's a critical time in his career. And, and we're talking about the topic. I'm not sure I'm really answering the question because the question everybody wants to know is how many does he have to win? There's no answer to not get fired. I don't know. I I can talk about that because I answered on the boards yesterday. You can't look at it this in a vacuum and say, here's a number that he has to reach. Uh, Yes. Obviously if they go three and nine, (laughs) <laughs> he's not, he's not going to retain his job. But, but what's he, the number? I'm not I sure. I don't know. And, and it's so dependent on – now, only Witt would know this, who he would have a good chance to get and who would say yes. So let me jump in and interrupt and say – I just interrupted it, it, you. It, yeah, well, I'm going to interrupt <laughs> you back. Every, everybody wants to fire the coach. A smart person only does that if he knows who's – if he thinks he can get someone better. Jim Weaver fired Seth Greenberg without even considering what it. was next. Right. So, um yeah, that's exactly right. And look, it's not like you're firing Mike London here, who guy won like two or three games a year. You're talking about a guy who is 64 and 49 in his career with 17 of those losses in his first two years at a horrible Memphis program. Yeah. And Frank Beamer, after nine years as a head coach, was pretty much the same age as Fuente and was like 59 and 49 and four. I'm not saying he's the next Beamer. Um, I'm saying that... <sighs> you better be real careful if you want to fire this guy because there's not a lot of evidence that there is a better coach that would say yes to Virginia Tech right now. Now, when, when Virginia Tech, was the job was open when Frank retired, it was considered a great job with great facilities and fans that fill up the stadium and it'll be easy to recruit there and blah, blah, blah. Well, here we know it's not, none of that's true. Our facilities were way behind, which Fuente didn't know because these days – Coaches, they take jobs without visiting schools because of social media. And you they, don't get to see it in person. You don't, you don't get to see it in person, right? Now, if, and if he had visited Tech and taken a look at the facilities, it'd be like, uh, this is pretty much what we got at Memphis. Definitely and, not. And now I'm going to have to recruit against Power 5 programs. Yeah. Um, so if he got fired, any prospective coach would call him and be like, yo, tell me about Virginia Tech. Right. And he would say, you know, I'm pretty sure Fuente would be honest with him. And, and Tech is in a better position right now to hire a coach than they would have been just last year, year just from, from a facility standpoint. But you know how it is when you change coaches. You're always excited about the next guy. Everybody was excited about Fuente, and now they want to fire him. And if, if you fire a guy with his resume, his overall nine year, year resume, in my opinion, I could be wrong. There's a less than 50-50 chance that you replace him with a better football coach. So there was if, that, if you just play the percentage, just looking around at all of college football, what happens there to aren't all these that teams many good year, football coaches there out there. There aren't that many good football coaches <laughs> out there. Good, really good head football coaches. Nah. So that you better be awfully careful. This can, it's not a decision that could be made emotionally. 
So some people are probably going, oh, well, there's that article that said they were going to get P.J. Fleck. Well, that article is stupid. That article is probably, probably <laughs> floated by his, his agent. agent. That's what and happens. let me tell you something. With Minnesota, <laughs> Minnesota's got Big Ten money. If Tech makes a run at P.J. Fleck, Minnesota will just giggle and write him a bigger <laughs> no, check, no, and that'll be the end of that. No, no, he, and, and, and let, me, let, <laughs> let me go back to our very first conversation in this podcast. I mean, Virginia Tech lost Bo Davidson. Texas Tech gave him a raise. He makes more money at Texas Tech, right? So if you're a prospective head coaching candidate and you want to be able to have the best support possible to hire the staff you want to ensure your chances of having success, you're looking at Virginia Tech and you're saying, Texas Tech can outbid them for recruiting staff personnel. So this is imperative, and I keep stressing this, that the, the Reach for Excellence campaign work. And you can't sit back and say, well, I'm not going to donate till they fire Fuente or change coaches. Well, if you don't donate now, it, it limits their chances of hiring someone good to replace them if it does come to that. Yeah. You know, so uh, I, I just, just looking at, having watched college football since I was a, I was a kid and, and studying it every day because it's my job. You just see coaches get fired all the time, and more times than not, the program just stays the exact same. <laughs> or, uh, or gets worse. <laughs> right. I mean, look at NC, you can look at NC State back in, back to the 90s when Mike O'Kane is their coach, and pretty much every coach they've had has won pretty much the same amount of games. So you know? Les Miles took the job at Kansas, and the, the, this, this is they about still went 2-10. The, the, <laughs> the, the most important thing about Virginia Tech is there is the infrastructure. All right. Players come and go. Coaches come and go. Uh, athletic directors come and go. You know, fans stay, and and buildings stay. I mean, Virginia and Tech is the conference you're in, and, and its television deal right, right, stays right. right. And uh, so, the most important thing, like the Tech has made a big step forward in, in facilities, but now we have to make sure we can afford the right assistance and and a big enough recruiting staff and and things like that. I mean, this is. I mean, ultimately, the, the program belongs to the fan base. And I just, losing Bo Davidson because Texas Tech, he's from Texas, maybe he would have left anyway, but he did get a raise. And I don't know, that just doesn't fill me with optimism that the Reach for Excellence campaign is going smoothly. Not yet. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have any inside info or feedback on that. I'll, but all the information's out there now on what we need to do from a financial standpoint to be successful. So if that doesn't work, I'm going to be very disappointed. Um, so I, I just think people are arguing about the wrong things when it comes to the sex football program. That's that's what I believe. All right. And I think you're making a good point there. There aren't a lot of great football coaches out there guy we mentioned scott frost at nebraska he was supposed to bring that program back and he's in the hot seat right now jim harbaugh same way with michigan so you never know you you fire justin fuente after this season maybe you're in the same spot four years later with another guy 10 million dollars and you're in the same spot or maybe not in a good spot i just just i just don't see a lot of guys out there that are definite upgrades or even like 75 percent probably going to be a good upgrade. so i know there's a lot of people out there the 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 people that just fire off quick comments and they're just all pissed off because we're talking like this. Oh, he, he sucks. Get another one. It's, it's, it's just not the way it works. I'm no, glad you're not running my athletic department. You, you, can't, you can't make decisions emotionally. I mean, generally emotional decisions turn out to be the wrong decisions. <laughs> Look what happened to the Tennessee program when they decided to get all emotional and stage a coup d'etat and bring Phil Fulmer back as their athletic director. I mean, emotional. I mean, you've got to you think 
rationally and clearly. And it, like I said, it's just not in a vacuum. It's it, about all about Justin Fuente. It's about who you have a good, who you would have a good chance of getting yeah. if you decide to replace. I'm not above replacing anybody. Mm. But, um, so, if if I thought there was a good chance yeah, that Tech could upgrade, but right now I'm not convinced that's the case with with head football coach position. So I, I think, uh, like I said, I think he's figuring a lot of things out, and I think I think they've cratered and they're turning back in the right direction. Um, I believe that I believe one of the last frontiers for him to clear is player retention and development. I also believe that what you see in the next year will look like a a poop storm <laughs> because there's so many players on so many teams that are going to get ushered out the door and hit the transfer portal. Because don't, the, don't react to what you're going to see for the next year or so. Drill a little deeper and and ask yourself, that guy that's transferring out, was he going to play? Was he going to be a contributor? Are they retaining the players that they want to retain? That's a better way to yeah. phrase it. Are they keeping the guys? Like, I'll give you a random example. My man crush Fuga. If Fuga transferred out, transfers out at the end of the year, let's say he has a decent year, gets a lot of playing time, and skates at the end of the year. Eh, that's not a good thing. Right. You know, Alec Bryant transferring out, Alec didn't play last year and nobody was buzzing about him. Not right. to pick on Alec. Right. But just pay attention to the details. Don't yeah. react to the numbers. Not right. every player leaving is the end of the world. Uh, well, and, and, the, and the NCAA is requiring all teams to get, to, to get back to the 85 limit by the 2022 season. So a ton of schools are going to have a ton of dudes <laughs> in the portals and they're not going to have landing spots either. It a is lot gonna, of them are not going to have landing spots. Yes, it is going to be complicated by guys that have uh, uh, a lot of NIL potential and feel like it's not being fulfilled here. That sort of scenario. Or other places, not just a tech thing. Yeah. The the headlines have been made by schools like Bama and Texas yeah. A&M. And the early, they can take anybody. The early return is like your average college football player is making like Four hundred fifty dollars, but like the top ten percent of NIL earnings, million, right? Or it's like are earning the top, or earning ninety percent of the money, just right. like society in other right. words. Right, correct. Just so, like the world we live in. Correct. So I just don't think it's going to have a. I mean, Ohio State's not going to get any more talented, and Alabama's not going to get any more talented. So I don't want to go down that road. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Well, I think we may have gotten rid of half of the YouTube questions with that last segment, <laughs> but uh, let's get, let's say two questions from the chat, David, see if, if you can find some good ones. Cause we are running up on almost yeah, two hours really here are. on the, on this episode. Okay. So first I'm going to say, I just checked Twitter. Um, I saw a, Mike Barber wrote an article. Apparently safety Devin Taylor has transferred to Bowling Green and is on roster there. Good for uh, just oh, well, Scott Leffler. Yeah. Scott Leffler. And they open up the season against Tennessee. How about that? <laughs> Hendon Hooker. Um, just of note, um, some guy named Evan Hughes commented and asked Chris Coleman uh, what his thoughts are on red shirting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said Is he's Evan a, a new listener? Hey, Chris, what are First your thoughts on red shirting? Are you a big fan of it for sports in general? First, first time ever viewing the podcast, big fan of the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you don't know, have to actually. I'm yeah, actually yeah, yeah. going to do you, my true freshman. That's it. That's the week. bit. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, so he's, so he's, I'm sorry, I interrupted. He said he's going to do a true freshman. I'm going to do a true freshman report next week where I'm going to go over anything I've heard about true freshmen so far this year. Whether okay. they could play, whether I think they should play. Of course, I don't think any of them should play. That's <laughs> not true. I think Cole Nelson should play. Uh, some actual 
some actual questions. Um, uh, let's see. So somebody asked about uh, Marco Lee in the running back conversation. I don't know if, if you guys want to hit on that. I think uh, he's in that second level right uh, yeah, below those top three he, I guys. guess he'd probably be fourth right now. And some yeah. of it could come down to matchups. But it's one of those things where, again, like nice football coaches when it comes to like trying to give everybody playing time and make everybody happy you know nice football coaches aren't are going to finish last so you have to make tough decisions and if you got a top three then that's the three you need to play well if there starts to be some injury attrition he'll he'll, he'll move up i mean he, he looks good i mean you look our pictures of him oh yeah yeah it looks like we're all looking at pictures nobody looks good not every Whoa. not everybody looks great some guys yeah like some of the true freshmen we were talking about, Matthias Carroll and they, Nicole they Nelson. Need to go in the weight room. The frame time. looks good, but yeah. you're like, yeah, they need to hit the weight room. So I'm not in love with everybody I see a picture of. Yeah. Marco Lee has hit the weight room, though. Yeah. Um, so Trey commented, he said, I have to think UNC is a must win for a team that's had a luck laster go of it for mm. the last three years. Does Virginia Tech need a perfect game to beat North Carolina? No, because Carolina's far from a perfect team. Um, I mean, Carolina's one of those teams, like, everybody knows who Sam Howell is, uh, you know, probably a top ten pick. The thing of, and, and everybody knows Sam Howell and everybody knows Carolina's had great recruiting rankings the last couple of yeah. years. But, you know, here's the thing, like, Max oldest players that he recruited that were highly ranked are sophomores. Um, I think the main the, – the, the difference between these teams are Sam Howell's well-known and Braxton Vermeister's not – and Tech's last couple of recruiting classes have been ranked very high, and UNC's has. Um, That's a solid point. Um, the the core of both teams, I, I think, is is a lot closer to is a lot closer to being even. Um, I, I, I think. I still think UNC's best years are ahead of him, and that sounds like a silly thing to say with Sam Howell, a quarterback. He'll he'll elevate the team. Right, right. But as a whole team, I think their best years are but ahead. They just lost their best two receivers and their best two running backs to the NFL. Yeah. And unless you're Alabama, you don't just snap your fingers yeah. and, and replace that. Now, now they're, they're um, stuff in the pipeline with a lot of good talent, at least according to recruiting yeah. rankings. And I think that'll really start to bear fruit next year and the year yeah, after yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. No, Tech doesn't have to play a perfect game. And – you know, even I, I don't. I struggle. I'm pretty sure I know how I'll feel and how the fans will feel short term. You know, whether Tech wins or loses, but like, I don't know what how. Yes, it's an important game from a donation standpoint and a, just a happy feel a standpoint. Uh, what if? Uh, here's a scenario for you. What if Tech loses a close, hard fought game? Carolina actually turns out to be the ninth or tenth best team in the country, and then Tech goes like eight and four or nine and three. Would right? You, would you still be looking back at the UNC game angry that that, that Tech lost it? Um, so there's a short term feeling, and then there's a long term feeling. They may be the same thing, and they may not be the same thing. And and the other thing I would caution people about is to to be be careful. If Tech wins that game, yes, it'll be it's great to beat UNC. It's great to be a top beat a top ten team, especially since home wins over ranked teams have been shockingly rare for 10 years now. Yeah. So from that standpoint, it's a big deal. But I don't think it says a whole lot about the rest of the season. It doesn't necessarily say. You know? well, I mean, and, I, and I know Florida State's a horse of a different color, but that 2018 <laughs> Florida State game didn't mean a thing. Yeah. 
It was fun, but it didn't mean a thing. I think you make a good point that this is a big Mm -hmm. game when it comes to donations and the fan base because it's the first time they're filling Lane Stadium in two years, and it's a Friday night on national television against the top 10 team. It's big for those reasons, but I I do agree. I think looking back at this game at the end of the season, it may not seem as important and as huge as it is right now. It just depends on how it goes. Or it may be. Or it could be. <laughs> what if it's a launch pad to attend well, well, two seasons? What if Tech beats them by 24 and then UNC and everybody's excited and then UNC goes five and seven? Right. It's not likely. Well, Sam, how gets likely. hurt? Who knows what will happen? You never know. But yeah. yeah. It's true. Well, I, I think I, – we've, we've got – let's roll through. I got two really good questions, okay. I okay. think. No, um, no. Let's be brief because I have to call the Hokie Club today and get my ticket situation yeah, straightened out. Because that's, I, I, that I, I is, can't get the tickets to load on my phone. That is a podcast for another time. <laughs> Evan and the Hokie Bird will get you. We'll help you. Yeah. Out. Right, anyway, um, some Sam asked if Burmeister is the best quarterback under Justin Fuente. Are we looking at three thousand passing yards, three thousand plus passing yards, and twenty touchdowns? I don't remember how many yards did Gerard Evans throw for. Not through. I don't. Hmm. Uh, it was three thousand, I think. David's yeah. David's good. I, I, I think up. I think an ideal Fuente offense is you know pretty balanced offense. Twenty five hundred yards passing. Yeah, maybe something like that. Tech, two, Tech wasn't rushing. a great rushing team in twenty sixteen. Right. Uh, Gerard himself was a good rusher, but right. you know. Gerard threw for 3,550 yards. I, was, I, was <laughs> I, don't guess, I don't think it's going to be that many. I was going to guess 3,100, so 3,500, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe like 27 to 3,000 maybe. I, I, don't, I don't know if I – it's one of those things where – or if Tech is – you know, if Tech is leading games, you know they have a tendency to sit on the football. Um. The thing about the like that season, like especially the Tech had a couple blowouts early in the season, but you know when they were playing Pitt, you know they were throwing it a lot. When they were playing Notre Dame, they were throwing it a lot because those games went down to the wire. So I, I don't know, and it's a different set of receivers. And like I said, I don't think this, from a star quality standpoint, I don't think this set is as good as that group. Like, like yeah, tech, it's tech, not just, it's not just the quarterback; it's the receivers. Tech, yeah, like, like Tech, like. He's not going to be able to just throw up a lob into the back of the end zone and have one of his receivers beat two defensive backs like Isaiah Ford used to do. I mean, there's a reason Isaiah Ford plays on Sundays. Uh, So I don't don't think – I think they're going to have to do a little more on balance, I would say. The final question, which I think it's a good one and it's an important one, uh, could the scholarship limit – Who's asking it? This is Parker. Okay. It goes back to the 85 scholarships that we mentioned before. Could the scholarship limit that you just discussed end up benefiting VT? Say Ohio State, Clemson, and Bama have to get rid of talented players. Do we get rid of some of ours to make room for that attrition? I mean, it could. Uh, There's... I would a lot of times there's when it comes to transfers there's there's more of a trickle down effect than a trickle up effect I would say um, it's not necessarily always the case certainly with Justice Justice Reed yeah uh, but I I don't know it's hard to know their I'm not exactly sure of their their scholarship situation this year um, but yeah I mean I, I it's it's still going to be a, a numbers situation like let's say Tech is at a hundred players and they have to drop fifteen. Okay, so you drop 15 to get back to the 85. Well, you're still at 85, and you'd have to drop even more to add transfers from other teams. That's a that's a difficult chess game. Oh, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, being being a coach and 
play in that game. I also think the question's actually independent of uh, this particular situation and the scholarship limitation. I think there's going to be more and more of a market for guys like Jordan Williams who are, um, again, we're going to find out how good Jordan Williams is. Is right. he really good and he just couldn't crack an elite defensive line? Or is he a guy that is is just a solid football player? Um, uh, and, you know, guys like Khalil Herbert, man. <clears throat> the guy never rushed for 1,000 yards in high school or college until he got to Virginia Tech, and now he's scoring touchdowns for the Chicago Bears. I don't know what he's going to make that team. <laughs> I don't know what Kansas looks was like thinking. It. I don't know what his high school was thinking. He never rushed for 1,000 yards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we answered his question, but uh, – hey, just... by, by the way uh, – we probably didn't, but I don't think we can. Maybe Adam Lechtenberg knows what he's doing. It's possible. That's the the one year Khalil Herbert rushes for a thousand yards is the is one year Adam, Adam Lechtenberg is his running backs coach. Right. All right. Well, that puts us at I want to say almost two hours on episode one eighty six. Yeah, that's about the, the tech sideline pot. We had a lot to go through though. We had to get through the entire roster and the Justin Fuente talk was a, a good conversation there. Before we go, Chris always got to ask what's going on on TechSideline.com this week. A lot. We got. I've posted my def, defensive backs article earlier today. David's going to finish his up later. Uh, at this point, David, we can probably just run that tomorrow morning. Um, Friday Q&A tomorrow as planned. Uh, our top prospects article, which GM, uh, GMAC Hokie and I GMSA Hokie? GMSA Hokie. Gosh, I, GMAC was I know his real name and I forget his name. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, we do that once a year. That's probably coming out tomorrow at latest on Monday. And then next week, regular game content except in a condensed week. Yeah, so I actually uh, put the roster on our uh, site last night. Last night? Today? So the roster's on our site. I got to start doing roster cards oh, God. for next week. With uh, a bigger roster this year. Remember? Yeah, I'm going to have to trim that trim that down to 86 players because that's all of the, that'll fit on the template. <laughs> um, Maybe we just need a new template. <laughs> yeah. So let's toss in that uh, um, we haven't publicized this, but uh, student subscriptions are free. So if you're a student and you've made it this far through the podcast, uh, it's real simple. Sign up for a student subscription. Um, use your vt.edu email address. Um, we are eventually going to hire a student ambassador, I will call it, who will reach out to you and, and will extend your subscription out to your projected graduation date. Um, so take advantage of that. Um, free stuff. Um, it's up. Just wanted to put that up. We'll there. make sure we'll put that at the top of the next podcast so we can get some more students yes. on board with TechSideline.com. Because by now, most of them are just checking their phones because <laughs> we're two hours in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys spending two hours here on episode 186 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Will Stewart, our founder and general manager. You can follow him on Twitter at WillStewartTSL. Same with Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist, Chris Coleman TSL. And then David Cunningham, our managing editor, doing a great job behind the scenes today and kind of a fill-in role wearing many different hats over there he is at the real decana on twitter as well i'm jake lyman uh and you can find me at lyman jake, lyman on jake. Twitter. so there you go too uh, excited for to get started with you guys it was a good first episode so well done for your your first time <laughs> through uh again just like evan just come in don't come in quite yeah, so hot make it a little more mellow next time well it's interesting because you guys are you you are trained to project <laughs> but yeah podcasts are more conversations 
you know? Well, it, it, more of it was the first one I did with Roby, I felt like I was a little flat. So I was trying to overcompensate ah. for that here, I think. So I think next time we'll have it all evened out. We'll have everything ready to go. And and, I, and David actually knows where the volume knobs are now. <laughs> I forgot to tell him that one. Yeah, I'm going to go back and listen to this and just have to pull out my earbuds. Whoa, I'm gonna... man. Well, anyway, we'll have that figured out for the next time. Next week, we're going to preview UNC on episode 187. Game week next week. And I believe we're only doing one podcast next week. Is that correct? Uh, and I'm not even sure at this point what day it's going to yeah. be. What were we talking about? I think Wednesday? Wednesday morning, I po- think was. Possibly. If, if Chris is ready to go and if Chris and David are ready to go and, and have previewed UNC at that point. And the thing we forgot to mention is if, if I get my stuff in in time, we'll actually have the cubbies on the shelves lit up. And maybe there won't be so much drama around the mic. <laughs> we should have yeah. everything settled in by the next right, one. I think right. that's the key. So looking forward to that. Great first episode here over two hours. So that'll do it for episode 186 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We went through fall camp, position previews, and we talked about the season as a whole. Next time will be a full UNC game preview. We hope you have a great weekend, Hokies, and thanks for joining us. (laughs) 